Hello and welcome to the commentary for lesson 377. This is Isaiah chapter 3. So we know that Jerusalem was conquered by the Assyrians and that their leaders were killed. And so this passage is about um, the destruction to come and what happens, of course, because of their disobedience. Um, it's going to bring them great suffering. Now, in verse 1, it says everything they depend on, every bit of bread and every drop of water. They're going to go from living in plenty to worrying about simple things like bread and water. Um, and then it talks about, in verse 2, all their heroes and soldiers, judges and prophets, fortune tellers and elders, army officers and high officials, advisors, skilled craftsmen, and astrologers. Basically, everyone affected. It doesn't matter how high the regard, um, whether they're heroes, um, everyone will be humbled. Now, something to be noted, just because fortune tellers and astrologers are listed just because Isaiah includes them in the list here doesn't mean that he's condoning those professions, but rather he is showing how far they've sunk. Because we know, of course, that God does not like uh, fortune telling and people who count too much on the stars and all of that. So then we go to verses four through nine, and it is Interesting, verse 4 says, I will make boys their leaders and toddlers their rule, their rulers. And then you go down to verse um, 12. Again, it talks about children as leaders. It says, childish leaders oppress my people and women rule over them. You know, a child, a male child wouldn't be a leader unless his father had died. So his mother would be the prominent person in his life. Um, so maybe that's what that's referring to when it says that women rule over them. And here's what's cool is if you look in Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 1, we see that Manasseh becomes king at age 12. And this is... Within the span, I think, of about 20 years, right? It, on my timeline, um, in my reference book, it says around the year 700 BC, actually 697 BC, Manasseh is reigned king. Isaiah is still alive. He's about three quarters of the way through his work. Work or life, I'm not sure if that span next to Isaiah is in reference to his lifespan or his work. But regardless, it lets you know that it wasn't like hundreds of years later, like sometimes prophecies are, uh, this happened in pretty short order. So God made boys their leaders. Now, just to let you know, remember King Ahaz, we talked about he was a horrible, bad king ruled by Jezebel, and he was of course, punished by God um, after Ahaz was Hezekiah, and then after Hezekiah was Manasseh, just to kind of give you a little background on that. Um, but Manasseh, like I said, he was crowned king at age 12. He reigned for 50 years. And then in Second Chronicles 34, verse 1, it talks about King Josiah, who was crowned king at age 8, and he ruled 
or reigned for 31 years. Now, Josiah became a good king eventually, but who's going to be a good king at age eight? Really, how capable could they be, regardless of how good the person is um, or how good of a king they become eventually? So essentially, verses four through nine really expands on, you know, what happens to a nation void of leadership, right? So they're, they're not going to have much leadership. And it's interesting that it gives an example. I like when they give these specifics, it just kind of lets you know just how crazy things get. In verse six, it says, in those days, a man will say to his brother, since you have a coat, you be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. So they're basically electing anyone with a pulse that looks like they might have money. And the people that have a coat or may seem like they have money, like maybe they're somebody, they're saying, don't put me in charge. No, thank you. I have nothing to spare. And they're not stepping up to the plate. So obviously trouble abounds when no one will step up to fill those leadership roles and the society will begin to crumble. Okay, let's go to verse 8. For Jerusalem will stumble and Judah will fall, because they speak out against the Lord and refuse to obey him. They provoke him to his face. The very look on their faces gives them away. They display their sin like the people of Sodom, and don't even try to hide it. Okay, I want to expand on that a little bit. Something my study Bible said that made a lot of sense to me. It says the people would be proud of their sins, parading them out in the open. But sin is self-destructive. In today's world, sinful living often appears glamorous, exciting, and clever. But sin is wrong, regardless of how society perceives it. And in the long run, sin will make us miserable and destroy us. God tries to protect us by warning us about the harm we will cause ourselves by sinning. Those who are proud of their sins will receive the punishment from God that they deserve. So I thought that was a good lesson today for even today because we do see that, that people are proud of their sins um, and they display them like on parade. But make no mistake, just as in the Old Testament, God says they are doomed. They have brought destruction upon themselves. Okay, then we go to verses 10 um, and 11 says, this is actually like a glimmer of hope in the middle of this gloomy message, right? And it reminds us that God is just. Verse 10 says, tell the godly that all will be well for them. They will enjoy the rich reward they have earned. You can imagine God's wrath coming down on these people and the good people. There's always going to be some good people, right? They're like, wait a minute, I care, God. Please don't punish me with everybody else. I'm really trying here. I'm I'm learning your word. I'm trying to follow after you. I'm trying to um, include you in my plans and I humble myself before you. Um, I try to lead a life that pleases you. So it's it's nice that he just takes a little time out to say, uh, yeah, don't worry. Tell the godly that they that it will be well for them. They will enjoy the rich reward they have earned. It's not saying they're going to live high on the hog and get to live in a palace. It's saying after death, that's the rich reward, right? Eternal life in heaven. Um, Verse 11, but the wicked are doomed. They will get exactly what they deserve. God is just. We know this. 
And then again, like I said before, verses verse 12 points back to the childish leaders oppress my people and women rule over them oh my people your leaders mislead you they send you down the wrong road and then it goes into detail about talking about leaders and and in this instance giving you a picture of just how corrupt and selfish they've become Verse 14 says, the Lord comes forward to pronounce judgment on the elders and rulers of his people. You have ruined Israel, my vineyard. Your houses are filled with things stolen from the poor. How dare you crush my people, grinding the faces of the poor into the dust. I love this because it lets us know, you know, who needs a bodyguard when you have God, the ultimate justice warrior, right? He will defend those who cannot defend themselves. And if it all doesn't seem fair, this gives us hope that those people that are oppressed and taken advantage of, that they will get their just reward. And that the leaders that are corrupt and selfish, they will be held accountable. I like that God reassures his people of that. Okay, then we get to verses 16 through 26, where it's the heading is a warning for Jerusalem's women. This is a big, bit curious because it shifts gears here. Um, verse 16 says, beautiful Zion is haughty. Haughty means arrogant and full of pride. And then it goes into all these descriptions of women craning their elegant neck, flirting with her eyes, walking with dainty steps, tinkling her ankle bracelets. It goes into all these details about jewelry and sashes and perfumes and all of this stuff. And so he is talking about women here. The women of Jerusalem have become a problem. I am going to read something from my study Bible. I liked what it said said here um, in regard to these women. It says the women of Judah had placed their emphasis on clothing and jewelry rather than on God. They dressed to be noticed, to gain approval, and to be fashionable. Yet they ignored the real purpose for their lives. Instead of being concerned about the oppression around them, they were self-serving and self-centered. People who abuse their possessions will end up with nothing. And it points out that these verses are not an indictment against clothing and jewelry, those things aren't bad, but a judgment on those who use them lavishly while remaining blind to the needs of others. When God blesses you with money or possession, do not flaunt it. Use what you have to help others, not impress them. But it should be noted that this passage is not just about women. Okay, beautiful Zion in the King James Version is translated actually the daughters of Zion. So the daughters of Zion could be, could incorporate all of Zion, which is God's land, God's people. Okay, so this is not just a message about the women, but of course there's always dual meaning in scripture oftentimes. And so here it's also about all of Israel. Um, and we know that because in verse 16 it's, it refers to Zion, the land of his people. And verse 25 says, The men of the city will be killed with the sword, and her warriors will die in battle. So we see there that the city itself has a feminine persona, sort of. Okay? Jerusalem itself, I guess, is a feminine noun in the Hebrew language. 
So, and then verse 26, the gates of Zion will weep and mourn. The city will be like a ravaged woman huddled on the ground. And then we end with polygamy, of course. Uh, (laughs) um, This is actually chapter four, but verse one, it stays in this little section here. It says, "In in that day, so few men will be left that seven women will fight for each man saying, let us marry you. They don't even want to be provided for. They say they'll provide their own food and clothing, um, but they just want to take the name so they won't be mocked as old maids. It was very important then to, um, you know, marriage was a big part of being accepted in society. And um, I mean, marriage is God's design, so it should still be an important part of society. Um, But here it was so, such a big deal to these women that they would have seven women to one man just so that they're not old maids. So anyways, just a little interesting sidebar. But I think that the takeaway for us is definitely um, that we should be careful not to be arrogant and self-absorbed and worried. And I think if you're doing this study, you're probably not. <laughs> I'll just, I'm not going to chastise anybody here because I, I believe that um, if you're here, that you're probably more concerned with others and with leading a life that pleases God. So, um, but that's our reading for today. Not a whole lot of depth to this. I think it's all pretty straightforward. Um, Jerusalem is Like I said, they were conquered by the Assyrians. This is what it's like in their land because they have no leaders. Their leaders are like children. But I do like that God did give that glimmer of hope in the middle of it by saying, tell the godly that all will be well with them. They will enjoy the rich reward they have earned. That rich reward, of course, is eternal life in heaven. And that's what we can all look forward to someday. So... That's it for today. I hope you all have a great day. I will talk to you soon.